Good day, my Telos podcast friends. Welcome to the show. We have an interesting one for you today. We're going to dive into the story of Telos, where we're at now and where we're going. And not only that, we're going to go a little bit bigger picture and talk about technology, humans, and how we're bridging the gap between the two and making technology more of a a human feel and what that looks like longer term. Uh, As always, this is sponsored by Hybrid.Games. Scott, the sound engineer, is just always doing wonderful stuff. Thank you, Scott. And also Crown DAC building a DAC that is uh, just building huge community and so check into Crown DAC and if you leave some comments I can send some crown to your wallet in the uh, comment section. Without further ado I bring you the stars of this amazing show Patricia and Erica from the Decrypted team so let's get into it. You're here because you know something. What do you know you can't explain? The Talos Podcast. in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to the show, Patricia and Erica, and what do you think the most um, interesting thing going on in Telos right now is? Um, I'll jump in and say the most interesting thing for me about Telos is I think it's one of the first networks that's probably going to um, transcend the, bu- the the blockchain crypto bubble and start to become attractive and interesting um, to change makers and leaders of all different discipline spaces. And um, hopefully there not be a requirement for deep technical knowledge to get involved in, in uh, this type of purpose-driven community. Um, to build off of that, I'm really excited by the idea idea of uniting around this idea of purpose. Um, I think that there's a lot of different angles upon which um, we can kind of uh, unite as communities. And um, the things that I'm seeing within the Telos world is that this purpose-driven angle allows a a much broader um, base of support to be built um, across all types of, you know, nationalities and regions and interests because people are really um, able to find something that matters to them mm-hmm. yeah and it's you two are the perfect people I have on the show right now because it is we are in that transition period it feels like for all of blockchain just this bigger picture um integrating people in in a new type of community and telos is, seems like it's at the forefront of that right now pushing forward forward a lot of the governance and things like that so um, yeah i'm also i'm also excited about that as well so, um, yeah, it was exciting when we first got involved with Telos um, to realize that a lot of um, the things that are theorized and um, being developed for a lot of other you know main chains or side chains are actually built on Telos and are uh, workable tools, which makes this a lot more tangible for people, I think, than a hypothetical in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a kind of a cool time because it feels like we are we've reset back to when the internet first came out, and we're trying to realize that initial version of the internet that was out there for everyone where we pictured this freedom of information and communities interacting and and it's got put in a box and it's almost like we're trying to free that again um so yeah it's it's an interesting time yeah Um, i'm um i'm very passionate about that topic and uh xanadu project and ted nelson and um i'm very excited about how telos is aligned and other and just the general blockchain movement is aligned with um revisiting the original design for the web What's the Xanadu project? I haven't heard of that. Oh, okay. Be careful because I can go on a full tangent about this. 
Um, one of the original designs for the internet um, was by a guy named Ted Nelson in the 60s okay. uh, called the Xanadu Project. And a lot of its values are very aligned with blockchain, but it wasn't feasible at the time for that type of technology to be created. Uh, so Tim Berners-Lee came in, kind of created 10% of what that vision was, and that's what we know as the current internet. And I think we're at the first point in history where we can revisit the web that wasn't and look to rebuild that. No way. What was the what was the person's name? You said Ted. Ted Nelson. Ted Nelson. Okay, I'm I'm getting on Google when we're done, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in a little bit because I love that uh, I love that topic. That's very cool. Um, so, how did you two get involved in Telos and with Decrypted, and and paint the picture about that a little bit for us? Um, so, so <laughs> well, the funny story about how we started working together, um, we both realized that there was somebody else who was doing branding related to the blockchain world. And at that time, there was very, very few um, branding specialists in the blockchain space. Um, and so when she and I um, kind of saw each other's web presence and saw each other speaking at conferences, we're like, oh my God, I can't even believe that there's somebody else who's um, doing this angle. Um, and so um, Matt and kind of the rest was history in terms of our professional collaboration. And then Patricia has really led some really spectacular um, projects that have, um, I, what I love about working with her is that she's really looking for um, how to practice as above, so below kind of mentalities. And so um, a lot of the, the work that we've done with Decrypted and with the agency that kind of predated that um, block club um, was to think about um, how do we take the principles of what we're aiming to create in this blockchain-based um, world and map it to the kind of organization that we're running? Um, and so I got to give a lot of credit to Patricia for being a huge leader, um, and she can speak more to what's what how how that's kind of developed as well. Yeah, I think first I'll just throw some some credit back to Erica as well, and to say that uh, yeah, similar story. Saw Erica um, working in blockchain branding and. Um, one of these beautiful moments in my life where, you know, your first instincts are like, oh, competition. But then yeah. we, we kind of knew each other from the same circles in Chiang Mai, met up in San Francisco and instantly um, felt that we actually like very kindred in what we were doing. And even more so that we came at branding from very different perspectives um, where I probably lean a little bit more of the conceptual and the visual um, and the team corralling. Um, Erica has enormous amount of strength and perspective with the psychology angle and messaging and um, thinking of the humans that are really behind it in a very practical way. So uh, I, uh, we, we both try to work with each other on branding projects uh, wherever possible. And both of us are really united by um, a similar desire in terms of where the blockchain industry is going. Um, I think uh, when we encountered, you know, the, the, this world, um, at least what got me into it was that there was just a tremendous amount of inaccessible language, technical jargon, um, basically like a, a giant wall that made blockchain feel like something that the average person couldn't participate in or contribute to the conversation around. And for those of us who are a bit deeper into this world, like we we're able to see that this is the conversation that needs to be had across so many different communities and to have um, blockchain projects have branding that felt like something that the average person couldn't actually participate in is doing a disservice to the world and to the movement that we're building. Um, and so both of us are really passionate about thinking through how can we take 
this kind of technology and make it something that's accessible um, to people who may not self-identify as crypto people or as technical people. Um, and so that's been the one of the, the things that we've really worked um, with Telos on and all the other projects that we've collaborated on together. Yeah, that's such a hurdle. The uh, the idea that it needs to be you need some serious technical prowess to operate in the blockchain is it kind of needs to be overcome with UX, but uh, of course with branding because the people a lot of people don't even want to touch it or get involved because it seems like you need to be a computer engineer or something to to be a part of it. How are you um, addressing that um, in Telos with the branding? Yeah, I think that one of our tenants going into Telos was um, to remove as much blockchain language from the surface as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, we, as, as part of our process, we delivered, um, you know, we, did, we did a large discovery process with them to go really in depth to the current state and the, the vision that they had, then put together this large blueprint for them. And I think we used the word blockchain once in it. Um, so that was, I'll let Erica speak to that more so because Erica has been driving the messaging to it. Um, but one of the things on my side, also from UX perspective, is looking at the tools and current interfaces and conventions that are in the space and how fragmented those are, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and how can we create a cohesive experience where the blockchain elements are behind the scenes and how can we revisit all of the core terminology that are being um, introduced to people in terms of government governance and work proposal systems and staking and lower that barrier of um, uh, learning up front to comprehend what the network is versus uh, to have metaphors and other things to relate to that are familiar. Mm -hmm. I also think we have to look at where we are in the landscape uh, and in the timeline of how blockchain um, has kind of been perceived by the general public. Um, I, I see uh, there having been a, a degree to which blockchain became a stand-in word for a much larger movement. Um, and so I, I see there being um, a lot of visions around redistributing power and the way that value is assigned. Um, and these can be described potentially as like new economy principles. There's a lot of different things that all layered on top of each other. Um, and blockchain became a convenient term to talk about this bigger vision, um, but is not necessarily accurate. I, I think it's one of the tools in the toolkit to accomplish um, uh, the, the movement that a lot of us are working toward. Um, but to call it blockchain um, makes it feel like something that you have to be able to understand technical computer systems to get behind. And so at least in the languaging um, side of things, what we're looking to do mm -hmm. is to pull out what are those elements of a bigger vision um, that we're standing for with Telos and with other projects. Um, and to focus and highlight those elements rather than to use the word blockchain either as a convenience or even a, a, a de facto descriptor of what, what's being built. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a, uh, I've, I'm part of a thing called the Natural Philosophers Club and I was like pushing blockchain on them like a year ago. We, were, we, we all get and we chat about these, these things and uh, instantly when I, rem I, I was like hitting a wall, like no one wanted to know about it, hear about it. So I stopped talking about blockchain, but I had started talking about like the bigger principles around it. And, uh, 
and, and not using blockchain at all. And all of a sudden everyone was super receptive and like these good conversations were started, cool ideas. And, uh, it's amazing the effect that language has on communication. Like these words mean stuff to people and they can put up a wall or take it down. And, um, so what you are doing is, is immensely important for, for adoption or for the next, the next step. Absolutely. Yeah, I think pe- people can be abs- very dismissive as soon as mm. a, a term like crypto or blockchain comes up. And Eric and I both experienced that in separate uh, experiences in the space. Like to speak to mine a little bit, when I first came in, um, you know, I found a lot of the meetup groups very inaccessible. So um, with a couple other people, uh, including Danielle from Decrypted, uh, co-founded uh, Blockchain Babes which was very round table discussion oriented, um, female focused. And one of the major trends that came up where no one wanted to talk about trading or technical terms. They wanted to talk about real life use cases and where blockchain can benefit everyday people's lives. And that became a trend um, to the point that Erica and I even hosted um, conversations around this at, um, um, I'm blanking on the name, but one of the EOS conferences in San Francisco last June. And we hosted, yeah, the Tulip Festival. I think there was a side conference related to BPs. Oh, yeah. um, and we hosted a conversation around um, how can we shift the narrative um, from introducing people to blockchain through the how to the why and mm-hmm. started having talking to people about like what was first communicated to you that was the seed to go down the rabbit hole that is comprehending what this movement oh. is. And um, what was a very obvious trend is identifying personal relevancy up front and talking through that lens of use cases. And if someone wants to follow the breadcrumbs deep enough, there's enough information on the how and the mechanics. Um, but I think, unfortunately, it's people's default to start with um, the technical side. Yeah. yeah. And so you're, you're talking about starting with people's personal use cases. Was there a, were there some things that were constantly reoccurring that people's personal use cases that, that, that showed up that were common or does everyone kind of have their own? I would say people, a lot of people have their own. Um, and, and it's, it's less um, use cases because like uh, we, we understand that most of us aren't actually using um, blockchain technology day to day in our lives. Um, that being said, there's reasons why people think that this is important enough to spend their time and energy on. Um, and so it's sort of mapping that. And one of the things that we learn from research design is that you get very, very different answers from people when you ask them, what would you do versus what have you done? Mm-hmm. Um, and so people actually tend to falsely report what they would do or what would motivate them uh, when compared to the actual stories of what happened for them. And so as people who have spent a lot of time and energy dedicating ourselves to thinking through how could we um, you know, uh, forward this movement and how could we make these visions into reality, um, we as this community are the people with the data on what actually converts people to become passionate and interested about this movement. And so looking toward what was the individual trigger and story for each and every one of us is the best data set we can compile when it, when we, it comes to looking forward and thinking, how can we persuade and motivate people um, who aren't yet in our, in our ranks. Mm-hmm. And what is that? What is that story for, for you two or for any other good examples that um, the why behind blockchain? Yeah, I'll jump in and build off of the story that I quickly shared earlier. Um, 
uh, in, I've been working at the kind of intersection of design, tech, and finance for, you know, 16 years or so. And um, my first year nomading, I made it a goal that every time I hit a new airport, I would buy a book and read the book before I got to the next airport. And one of those books was uh, by Jaron Lanier called Who Owns the Future? And he's considered to be kind of the godfather of virtual reality and this um, notable technologist from San Francisco. And the book introduced me for the first time to this concept that the business model of the internet's broken. And um, the original vision of Ted Nelson and the Xanadu project and why that wasn't put into reality and some of the impacts that the current um, form of the internet and the way that we're interacting with each other are having on humanity. So it planted a seed in me to say, like, this is something worthy of me spending my time on. I'm very passionate about, I'm an internet native. I've been on the internet since about three. And I think Erica's got very similar amazing stories about how, how long she's been on the internet. So it took me a long time of searching around the world and having conversations to to find, like, how can I contribute to this purpose? And it wasn't until, I think... Um, I had one project with Vinay Gupta in about 2015 around how education um, related you know, could be reinvented through blockchain. I still wasn't bought in to what blockchain was at that point, but I was exposed to it. But then I had one very particular conversation that explained that blockchain could be a bridge between the physical and the digital world. And then I, um, it's part of that conversation. I learned about EOS, learned about the concept of digital real estate and um, all of the, the kind of new advancements that were happening in this kind of third gen blockchain. And it clicked for me at that point that EOS was the closest thing I had ever come across to this original version of the internet. And it's a beautiful sandbox to play within to start building this direction. So after that point, um, because I had been running a branding agency and UX agency, um, I focused all my efforts in blockchain after that point. Yeah, I had a a similar kind of uh, narrative in terms of thinking, there's sort of like an an older dream that I had held onto that I wasn't seeing come into reality. and one of my favorite quotes is from by George Carlin, who says, scratch any cynic and you'll find a disappointed idealist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like I had my coming of age where I was um, quite radical and hoped that there could be massive political world change and, and a, a restructuring of power systems um, and kind of got disillusioned and thought, well, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. There's no way to institute this kind of shift without a a major centralized force that is inherently going to be corrupt and have all of these different um, downsides. Um, And so to find out that there with, with technological innovation, there was becoming a possibility for another way felt like opening up an entire new world, a possibility where I had thought that, that door was kind of closed and that there wasn't um, kind of hope for change. Um, And so I feel like there's a a lot of us have our different sort of angles of why it matters to us. Um, And that's what is so intriguing to me about um, the blockchain space is that there are so many different arenas that this can touch on and thereby there are so many different motivating factors for people based on what really is makes you feel passionate. Yeah, you but you hit on this kind of overarching theme there of of something being systematically broken to some extent or could be better and then blockchain providing a new solution to that that gives people a little bit of hope. And I think that feeling is, uh, you know, thinking about it, what captured me as well. Um, you, uh, 
Patricia talked about the internet kind of being broken or not realizing its dreams. You talked about the power structures being kind of broken and how do we, how do we reassemble these things in a better way? Um, and, and blockchain being the bridge to be able to do that. And, and I think that's like, that's the hook that got me as well is that, um, for me, it was more of, uh, you know, specifically like the financial industry being broken in ways I, I, uh, day traded for years and, uh, and just kind of watch all the money and how it all moves. And it's like, this is so broken. And how do you fix something like this? And it's kind of that uh, disenchanted feeling like there's no way to do it. And then you find something that, oh, this is an application. Um, and there's so many areas. I mean, there's medical uh, records is like a big one. People talk about education. Uh, I mean, everything. Yeah. So, so it is. I one, think, the, one, the, yeah. one that we're finding between us that um, has been a great motivator, you know, diving even deeper into this space is the way that we run our organization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we are a collective of different multidisciplinary people that work together on bespoke projects and we don't really want, or it doesn't really make sense for us to have a traditional incorporation between us because we're not going to incorporate differently for every collaborative project team that comes together. Mm -hmm. So we've been experimenting with the, the concept of um, DAX, for example, for a while. And I think that um, some of the best use cases in blockchain are, you know, a problem that, that exists and you don't necessarily have a solution and you're, you're switching for it in that way. So again, we've been benefiting from that perspective. Yeah. And, and both of you, it sounds like started with block collab and you did that together and that has some, um, you know, has some similar methodology. Is that right? Can you talk a little bit about block collab and how that fits in? Yeah, I'll, I'll start by talking about block collab. So, um, when was it? Oh, just about a year and a half ago. Um, a couple of us started coalescing on working on a couple different projects and we realized that we needed to have some sort of name or group presentation of saying this is who we are. Um, and that was the name that we chose at the time. Um, but really it was kind of like a six to eight month exercise of us revisiting, like how do we um, work collaborative in this way, navigate consensus, have open and transparent um, financial compensation for everyone involved. And even though we don't really promote block club. I wouldn't say it's necessarily like an active entity for us right now. Those principles and those um, partnerships that came from that are still very alive in different forms. Um, Erica, you might want to add more on your yeah. perspective on that. Yeah. Um, to me, the interesting part of what our experiment of block club revealed um, is that there's a major gap right now in terms of people who have skills to contribute being able to do so as independent agents, but at also as a team. Um, at this point, like most people who work in service uh, professions either have to go it alone and sell their services as rogue individuals, which is a lot more inconvenient for the client side because they're not able to hire, they have to do a lot of management to hire all of the different piecemeal people that they need to get a job done. And or you need to go into um, sort of a traditional hierarchical agency where your labor is being upsold um, and where you don't necessarily have the same degree of creative power and or um, uh, ability to work as peers with 
the other people that you're collaborating with. And so we wanted to find a way to meld the fact that each of us were individuals who were working on high level projects and who had um, a lot of experience to bring to bear on our clients without compromising our ability to um, sort of have a flat uh, peer-like structure between us. Um, and so that, that wasn't something that we had a lot of good existing models for. Um, and so we explored what existed out there, um, found that we needed a suite of tools, not unlike what Telos offers um, to be able to make it happen. Um, and uh, it, I think that for me at least really added a lot of fuel to the fire um, in terms of thinking through what does it take to make decentralized organizations function effectively and, and um, to have a decentralized model be um, at least somewhat as efficient and um, be able to provide um, better potentially value for clients than, than one that is uh, operating on a traditional hierarchical model. Yeah, so that 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 talks about DAX a little bit, or that makes me think about DAX a little bit, and things like um, Crown DAC that's on the the Telos blockchain, and um, I believe that Seeds is a DAC or is is moving to become a DAC. Um, so th that's a really interesting way to. That's a, the, one of the greatest applications for blockchain is this idea of people being able to add value um, in their own special way and be compensated for it without kind of a entity that's needed as a middleman that, that drains resources off the whole, the whole system. So. Um. Yeah, I'm actually a co-founder in a company called Upstock, which is not a blockchain application, mm -hmm. um, but um, which is working on this problem from a different angle. Um, basically thinking through how do people who build things together uh, co-own what they build? Um, without having to pass through tens of thousands of dollars of lawyers' fees to get giant stacks of documents that sit in a drawer and get forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we're working on is thinking through the legal side of um, company ownership and of project ownership, especially when there are varying levels of contribution um, and varying levels of commitment between people who are working on projects together. So this is something that um, I have a lot of energy for, um, and I know Patricia has been working on from some of the other angles in terms of um, uh, thinking through a lot of the you know management and how do we um, include people and how do we um, actually get things done within a context of uh, a decentralized organization where power is not necessarily clearly uh, coming from the top. So is Upstock a... Um is it have some of the tenants of a decentralized autonomous corporation or how do you approach that, that problem? Um, it's um, being run on a traditional Silicon Valley model because um, it, it, it's been around for several years before the blockchain industry really started booming. Um, it, to me, this is part of why I like to tap into what is the bigger movement of what we're trying to do here versus a focus on um, specifically blockchain as the administrative layer of um, sort of distributing um, because that may not always be the best solution in terms of getting something up and out quickly um, and having it be usable. Like we have people using it right now who are um, distributing um, the ownership within their companies based on um, time splits, based on um, achieving different KPIs, et cetera. And that doesn't necessarily require blockchain. Um, I, I do feel like there's an opportunity for that to be involved at some point in the future. 
Um, at the moment, though, what we're really looking to do is to think about um, what will help us start serving companies today, because this is a problem that people are experiencing right now. If you want to co-own a project together, you need to pay a lawyer to do that. And we don't think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. They- yeah. I, want to, I just want to underline as well that importance and that, um, also the challenge I'm seeing in the blockchain industry of people expecting companies and people to jump from no exposure to blockchain to being full-blown onboarded users. And there needs to be much more gray and um, exposure points in between for people to wrap their head around these new concepts and this new paradigm before they can actually participate fully. And I think that what OpSoc is and other organizations that are working in that fringe space is incredibly important as a prerequisite. Yeah. And, and, and it's a lot of times people are fitting blockchain into every, yeah, every problem basically, as opposed to seeing what's the actual use. Uh, I like to think of blockchain as just one small tool that you can kind of tag on to things to improve them, but not necessarily the tool to fix everything. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a much uh, more reasonable approach for sure. Especially when you talk about other people adopting it who aren't just going to use blockchain just because it's blockchain. You know, so. And this is something that Patricia has done a lot of thinking about, not only from the branding side, but also from the user experience side. Um, I know at least with um, Chestnut and with Everpedia, two of the big pushes that you've done, Patricia, have been to make it really easy for people to start using these apps without having to go through a very complicated um, blockchain onboarding process. So I, I'm wondering if you have anything to share about that, because I know it's you're, you're somebody yeah. I really respect uh, in that realm? I'll say it's a really hard problem. <laughs> um, as uh, will be evident when by the time that this podcast is released, Chestnut's still not a live product. We've been working on it actively for the last year since US hackathons. And we have a white paper that's been recently released and um, we're working on um, final concepts for the interface. But um, the barriers to make this possible and as familiar and easy as any other online experience are still quite high in terms of key management and other considerations. So um, I'm, I'm very much just a supporter of people working in a sandbox environment and being as open and transparent as possible about their learnings along the way. That's what we're going to try to do more of. Um, and even with Everpedia, I think that we made big strides forward so far in um, the platform being functional and intuitive. But I would say one of the things that we're most focused on in 2020 is how can that onboarding experience be um, even easier? And I think right now, um, any apps that require um, multiple third-party apps to get involved, like, for example, creating an account over here and having a wallet over here um, and having those be multiple steps to have like a cohesive experience with a product is going to be a limiting factor until we can solve that problem, especially using exchanges that are separate. Um, so, uh, yeah, not to say that I have, uh, any of those answers fully solved, but that I think what we should be moving towards is a seamless experience as much as possible, um, where a lot of those technical steps are obfuscated, um, behind the scenes. Do you think that all dApps are going to kind of need to have their own wallets within the dApp for, for UX just to eliminate that one of those, one of those steps? Uh, it depends on what we're referring to as wallet. I think um, blockchain in general has a definition problem and you know, an, an opportunity to redefine some of these terms. I think that it depends. Like if um, uh, token usage within your app is um, fundamental, then you're going to need to build in 
some things and lease for a user to come and to use your app um, without having to go somewhere else to make that possible, but that um, there should be the ability to integrate with other wallets for enhanced functionality for those types of users that have that technical uh, know-how. So I, I think that that's important is, um, you know, we want to avoid this experience where people come to your app, they're really sold in the vision and like see value in the, the offering of the product. And then there's this like stop gap. It's like, okay, now see you later, go over here and take all these steps. And we'll, you know, we hope you come back and keep your journey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the concept of having like some sort of scorekeeping or money within apps is like, we've been doing that since video games first come out. You're like collecting Mario coins and stuff and no one ever had any sort of mental barrier with it. But when you start calling it a wallet and start calling the coins, like saying they have some sort of value or something. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's this big abstract concept that people aren't connecting the dots on. So, um, so yeah, the terminology is, it's funny how that works. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think one angle, one angle to that also is allowing people to still have the token concept or whatever language that they're using within the DAP. But as soon as someone wants to extract that value and transfer it out, then the account creation process on the blockchain actually takes place. I think that there can be custodian layers also involved in that. Yeah, that, that model has always made sense to me because it, it gives some sort of incentive and there's some sort of commitment there to go through another step to pull your uh, tokens out as opposed to when people are needing to do it on the front end. There's there's no, they haven't made any commitments and they don't have any incentive. There's no coins to pull out yet. So um, it definitely makes sense happening. Very that true. Order. Um, what, what, your, um, what does the process look like for onboarding onto Everpedia right now and how are you looking to improve that? Yeah, um, so right now with Everpedia, um, you've got a couple different ways that you can uh, create an account. One is through ORID, which is a connecting a social account or an email, um, and it creates um, uh, like an EOS account for you with a limited amount of IQ already in your account. And we're working on ways that you can infuse more in, or you can trans you can transition it to a full own fully owned EOS account for yourself, but you don't have access to your keys. Um, so this is for kind of light users, but this is the first introductory level. And then separately, if you have an EOS account, you can integrate it with Scatter. Um, but you know, when you have a login portal and it says login with Scatter or, or ID and you use that type of language, users are still like, what are those two things? Like they don't really get it. So I think that over the next year, we're going to be looking at making that as invisible as possible um, and moving towards models where the tokens are more indicative of a gamified environment than of a crypto environment. Fantastic. Um, and you also, uh, you worked on um, Everpedia and Chestnut. What uh, are you, what are you kind of envisioning for Chestnut as far as onboarding? And, and this, I know that everything's still being built, but um, are yeah. there any, yeah, go ahead on that. Yeah. Um, so our original vision with Chestnut was based on this, this belief that there was an enormous amount of fear in um, our, our, the audience that we're, we're focused on, which are people who are technically literate, might work in digital marketing, might have digital exposure, but are not yet like, um, blockchain or crypto adopted. And there's so many protections and things that, um, are kind of safety points in the traditional system. Like um, I can go to an ATM and have um, a withdrawal limit that the blank applies for me. Or if something happens, I have the ability to contact customer service and have my funds returned to me. But in blockchain, that does, the concept doesn't exist. So our original seed was how can we um, introduce some of those from those 
points that reduce fear um, as a bridge for people into the blockchain space. So um, our hope with um, Chestnut, which, which our intentions, by the way, are for it to be across multiple blockchain, blockchain agnostic in future. And we actually see use cases across just the web in general and anywhere that there's accounts, um, but that you can um, create an account seamlessly. Like um, right now, you know, you need resources in order to create an EOS account in many cases, unless wallets recover those costs, that that is um, a, a very seamless experience. But then once you do create the account, you're prompted to set permissions for yourself right away. So that might be blacklists or whitelists or spending limits or even just freezing your account and not allowing any transactions to take place. Um, and then that sits as a, in the background as kind of a multi-sig environment um, and becomes um, a point of safety as like a smart contract layer around your account. Um, so for those people that want to experiment um, with blockchain, I hope that there is going to be um, value provided through a product like this. And then for those that are very blockchain active, but don't want to use command line right now um, to implement these types of protections that we're really focused on a simple um, you know, streamlined user experience with a lot of support for people um, so that they don't need to have that, that high technical barrier. Yeah. I think you're, you're hitting on a really important point, which is that if we're talking about um, this technology and basically reformatting the way that um, money works and that the value is exchanged across the entire world, none of that is ever going to happen if what we're providing is a worse experience for people. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so they, we cannot take people's attention for granted. We cannot take it for granted that someone's going to use something just because it exists. It has to be actually a better choice for them. Um, and to build things and then not think about what the user experience is, is uh, almost a waste because we have these amazing ideas in terms of how money could circulate and be reformatted and um, kind of take a new shape in our coming era. And yet um, there's still a gap between the goals that a lot of us have and um, the hard facts of how you engineer behavior change. Um, and so unless we can use the principles about how to induce people to actually want to change their behavior um, and apply them to cryptocurrencies in the blockchain world, we're never going to actually achieve a lot of the goals that we're working toward. Where do you think the, yeah. the biggest opportunity to, to bring people into blockchain or, or get them to change their habits? Where, where do you see that point being? I'll I like jump in on that a lot. Yeah. Oh, after you. Um, I, I think that there is an enormous opportunity to cross pollinate knowledge from other disciplines, from people that are not working in blockchain. So as much as there's, you know, the then goal is to get more users and more people involved in the space. I think that the first steps are going to be, um, how can I bring someone like, um, an example is we have someone named Tracy, um, Abbott on our team, who is an organizational psychologist and an expert in collective leadership and, so relevant to blockchain industry from a different angle, but feels this barrier to work on projects because she doesn't really understand blockchain technology. So how can we create opportunities for people of all of this existing knowledge in the world to come into blockchain, understand the little that they need to relevant to their space and then contribute value in, into those problem solving conversations. Um, so we're hoping with our types of organizations and consulting capacity, we're being that bridge, but I think that there's a lot more opportunity um, in, in, across the whole industry um, to um, softly introduce um, people of a lot of uh, like thought leadership value.
uh, into the space to start, to start solving these problems alongside us. I also see a lot of naivete around um, the idea that extrinsic rewards are what's going to bring people into blockchain. Um, so there's a kind of ethos within a lot of the projects that are basically are leading with this idea of get paid for XYZ um, through cryptocurrency. And that's been a device that's been very, very central to the rollout of a lot of different blockchain projects. Um, when you look at what actually motivates people, um, there's been tremendous amount of study around how extrinsic rewards actually affect people's desire to participate and contribute in things. And the more directly an action is tied to a money value, actually what that produces is less desire to undertake that action yourself. Um, and so this is something that I feel like the blockchain industry needs a major reckoning with, um, which is to say that there are psychological principles about what motivates people that we're not necessarily thinking about. And when we're talking about um, like the gamification aspect, to me, that is one possible solution where you're contributing out of the idea that you want to contribute. Um, and the points are kind of this fun thing that gets accumulated. Um, and it's nice to see your balance go up, but we're not equating every single um, token with a specific dollar amount especially because that then brings the conversation into what is the token worth, um, which puts us back in the era of 2017, 2018, where speculation was ruling the day rather than what is the value of the thing that we're building here. Um, and so I find that that is probably going to be one of the things that we need to think about the most as blockchain projects is how do we communicate about tokens in a way that doesn't just rely on get paid um, mm -hmm. because that's not mm -hmm. enough to actually induce people to participate and to take action. Yeah, one example that we're thinking about that Repedia in that sense is um, there's so much value um, in a platform that, that is knowledge oriented like that for me to have the, um, the, the, the value of what I know attributed back to me in the way that almost on LinkedIn, you would have um, kind of a, a kudos sent, you know, add, added to you from people in your network on certain topics that you know. What if that was verified based on your contributions to a platform like that? All of a sudden, I have this profile that has a lot of um, meaning and value to me um, to to establish myself as an expert in whatever topics those are. That's a, for me personally, there's a much bigger motivation to involve in a platform like Everpedia than to, um, to make an income if, as, as Erica was going to say, or to earn tokens. You know, one of the things that we've seen um, with that also is that um, it's not that people don't want score to be kept on who's getting what. Um, the, the systems that they've seen to function the best typically are ones where um, people can trust that the score is being kept silently in the background so they can think about the score the least. Um, and so it's not, uh, it's not about eliminating you get this for that. It's about keeping that um, as a system that is um, people believe in um, but don't have to um, spend a lot of mental energy tracking. Okay. Okay. And, and do you think that Reddit is a decent example of kind of keeping score, uh, but how people kind of bend over backwards for karma and things like that on Reddit? Uh, that's, that's an interesting phenomenon. Do you think that, that, that plays in to your, your theory somehow? 
Uh, I would say that there's always going to be a span of people with different motivations. Mm -hmm. And so there are necessarily going to be some people who are more motivated to accrue points and there are going to be others who are more motivated to contribute value. Um, and so there's the system is going to support both. Um, I, what I'm thinking about is how do we attract the broadest base of support? Um, and to me, that is going after the people who want to contribute value more than the people who want to accrue points. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, uh, speaking of people who want to um, add value, I don't know, Patricia, if you're familiar with the guy who's written like 100,000 uh, articles for Wikipedia. He's just, he's like, he's written some absurd percentage of all yeah. the articles on Wikipedia as one dude. Um, so anyway. Yeah, I, I remember he was in the news um, maybe last year for some reason. Yeah, I'm, I think it rings a bell. <laughs> well, we need to onboard him onto Everpedia and start getting <laughs> cranking over there. Um, but yeah, anyway, the, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, the idea of abstracting all this, uh, the monetary and, and get paid to post or those type of messages out there is, is brilliant because there is a lot of everyone here who's here kind of for the money or a lot of people who are here who were here to make the money kind of come in and go out like what you see in 2017. Um, but there's the rest of the, like, there's a lot of the world out there who wants to actually add value or be part of something different or have their own little community that's, that's um, functioning together. So that, that message definitely needs to change. And I think that's what turns a lot of people. That's why um, a lot of people cringe at the word crypto or blockchain at this point is because it's so uh, deeply now connected mentally with people with, with this, some sort of monetary value or some sort of speculation. Yeah. I'll just quickly comment and say that um, I'm a massive science fiction fan and I believe in this concept of province of science fiction and how important it is that um, we are telling stories about the future that we want to create. And I think that in society right now, we've kind of hit this wall where we don't have language around this movement, um, as Eric was indicating earlier, or what motivates us to be involved in an industry like blockchain, as well as other change-making environments, and that we don't have enough storytelling um, to help inspire and lead us down this path. And um, I, I'm very focused uh, moving forwards on how we can shift focus from those mechanics um, to the storytelling aspect and start um, creating visions that we can um, you know, dis discuss and buy into in that sense. Yeah, you know, I just you you just said this thought, but I hadn't thought of it before. So, are you under the impression that, or do, is there a theory out there that uh, science fiction that was written in the past that's been predictive of current technologies actually kind of drove that direction because it was a story we told for so long? Is that absolutely? Yeah. Oh, wow, what a cool concept. Okay, so so it's it's kind of reverse of the the initial thought that most people have that oh these guys predicted the future. Maybe they kind of made it, huh? Yeah, you know, um, this is a kind of a tangent conversation, but we are conduits to a large extent, I believe in this concept of ideas being thought forms um, and being focused on like what wants to emerge in the world. And if we're telling stories, we are conduits for helping tell those stories about what wants to emerge. And, um, you know, for a number of different factors, I think we've stopped doing that to a large extent. And I think that, that is um, dangerous and a really big missed opportunity. So. Yeah, and yeah. there's, there's a, a degree to which um, the data bears out that when vision is consecrated into words and then transmitted, it is far more likely to happen. So kind of having a loose idea of what your ideas and your, your vision and your goals are um, produces far less 
as successful outcomes than strong statements and um, involving other people in that discussion. And so if we're going to extrapolate that out, when um, anybody creates a vision, especially if they are building technology to make that happen, and they actually distribute that vision and really clearly um, articulate and promote what it is that they're looking to create, there's a snowball effect that gets generated by that type of work. Um, and, and it's um, something that is tangible to people mm -hmm. who are actually out there. And even if, even if the, the company doesn't succeed, that those words imprint uh, and create a sense of possibility that then can um, carry the life, carry, carry it on um, into the future as well. And to build on that, um, there is a methodology that I very much believe in that drives a lot of my thinking in branding called brand-driven innovation. Um, and it's how can we articulate the brand vision, the story in such a way that it becomes a seed that informs um, all the different facets of an organization from product development to marketing to how the internal organization runs to how any of the internal, external audience perceives um, an organization. And I think that brand and the form of it being a story is very similar to what Erica was saying. Yeah, that's 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 a really powerful message. That's that's fantastic. Um, so, what do you think about what would the? Can you tell a little bit about the brand story of Telos? The idea behind the purple dot, the what the the feeling and the vision is, and yeah, what's the thought behind that? I would love to throw that to Erica. She always says that so eloquently. If that's like, I'm happy to build on it after. <laughs> cool. So, so um, in approaching Telos, I wasn't deeply involved in the Telos community before I started looking at this, and so I had um, one the the need to catch up, and then two also a little bit of an outsider's eye um, into looking at what is the real differentiation here. Um, and so I think what we ended up seeing was that. Um, the name and the word telos provided a very interesting compass for us because it was um, very concretely related to a specific um, segment of what we could be focusing on. And that is this idea of being united around a shared purpose, being united around um, a vision that we are moving towards something together um, and a desire to create that um, in community with other people. Um, and so with Telos producing um, this, these tools for teams to create a shared vision into reality, we started thinking about um, the components of that, like what would be necessary to create a shared vision? What would be necessary to find the people who want to build that vision with you? Um, and these are sort of the contingencies upon which Telos rests if you want to promote tools to um, birth shared vision into the world, then you need to also be thinking about what allows people to uh, to form groups and then craft shared vision together. Um, and and so that and that was for us really related to this idea of um, sort of the the concept of being together here on this big planet um, and having something that is a central shared purpose to all of us, which is. Um, the flourishing of human life. Um, and so Patricia really took that concept and translated it into the visuals. So um, I, can, I can let her speak yeah. about how that got um, communicated. Yeah, I'll add to that and say that, uh, you know, working on this project was, um, you know, there was a moment at the beginning when I realized I've been branding 15 years. I'm like, I don't think I've ever designed 
a brand that's owned by a community before. You know, the mm-hmm. Telus Foundation <laughs> is planting a seed in of idea, but it's totally up to the people that compose the network and whether or not it's adopted and how it's used and how do we do this in this way. And hopefully from the point of communicating like a very coherent, compelling vision. So let's look on, let's focus on that. Um, so Telos for me was a container brand. It needed to be something that people could make their own and build upon. Um, and as Erica was indicating, like what is the one thing that we all really have in common, regardless of our individual Teloses? And it's the shared Telos, hopefully, of humanity flourishing together. And what is the one of the, the main symbols in, in our culture around humanity is, um, you know, the big blue dot. So um, started thinking about that and how um, that circle could act as a canvas for everyone in the community to build upon and to interpret in their own ways and to be a metaphor for that. Um, you know, there's, there's added components that we're starting to see in the brand now around um, how, that's the, you know, it's not just the blue circle, but we have other circle uh, motifs. And um, in future you know, releases, we're going to see them almost like move like they're alive. There's going to be this metaphor between the circles representing a person, as well as this concept of it being the big, the big blue earth. So um, it's been incredibly inspiring um, to see the reception of releasing this to the community and how everyone has taken it and made it their own and there you know there's been um pushback and enormous amount of adoption but at the end of the day good brands attract and repel and it's you know what is it over a week since we released it and still in conversation so we're definitely feeling like we did something right in that sense and are really excited to um expand upon that concept because so far i think the community has been introduced a little bit to the story behind telos and to the visual nature of this new brand but there's so much more around movement building and around the meaning behind this that we're really excited to roll out in 2020. And I think that I think what you're touching on with the container brand uh, applies to um, the purpose angle as well, because the idea is not that every single person who's building on Telos is building toward the same goal. The idea is that Telos provides a canvas upon which you can assert what your goal is and gather the troops to create that into reality. Um, and so it, it, uh, it uh, allows people to um, individuate in terms of what their own goals are um, so that they can be finding the thing that's going to give them the juice to um, put the time and energy in to make change into reality. Yeah. Well, from the, from the user end, it's been, it's really fun to see everyone's um, interpretation, like the putting their picture over the blue dot or making some sort of logo or transferring their other logo on top of it. Uh, the blank canvas is such a cool idea. And in, in, in my opinion, and I saw the, um, I remember when steam and steam it steam rebranded the steam it logo and uh, people were so disenchanted and unhappy forever. And this one went, super smooth compared to <laughs> compared to the other one okay. the other blockchain tra- uh, rebranding that i was part of so um congratulations i, I think it's a really cool idea I, i'm a big supporter of it so and i think that's a testament also to the telos community because mm-hmm. the people who are drawn to telos are some of the most optimistic people that i've ever encountered i think there's a real spirit of um building things that matter um and so i i my, my, at least my read on the situation is that because um, that's sort of the ethos of the community, there's a, a willingness to run with something and turn it into something real that doesn't necessarily exist everywhere else. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And when I think about the type of spark or igniting that we want to have, not just in the existing community, but in the larger world, because um, just to kind of sidestep for a second and say, we needed to design this brand, not just to serve the small community of Telos right now, but as large a community as we need, we know it needs to create this network effect um, that we're seeing this type of creativity and self-expression come out of something like this logo. And I think that this industry and um, this type of movement needs more of the, that type of creativity and storytelling um, as we've seen in any other movement in the past <laughs> in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as everyone's given the opportunity, I mean, that's kind of a bigger picture what, what uh, blockchain is about too, is this idea of people being able to contribute value and being their own individual and kind of, um, add add where they can and how they can and uh the blank canvas idea it fits in right with that as well it's it's very very cool these the direction things are going um and and so many movements bigger movements always have to start with kind of a small core group and uh and telos is one of those core groups is doing it. i know there's so many blockchain projects out there and so many people working on this it's uh I love the idea of starting to tell the story of what the future looks like so that we can, we can start building towards that. So um, uh, Patricia, in your sci-fi novel of 25 in the year 2050, um, what has blockchain done to the world? Oh, big question. Um, Okay. So I'm going to be a little bit conservative in my thinking on this and just say that I don't think you know, 20, let's not even put a specific date on it, but let's just say decades in the future. Mm-hmm. I don't think blockchain is going to um, be the underpinnings of all of our major systems in the world, but that we're going to be able to start running systems in parallel in a way that we can experiment with um, and have, um, you know, people, organizations, societies opt into. I love this quote by Buckminster Fuller that hopefully I say verbatim will try. Um, but you, you, don't, um, you don't change the existing reality by fighting against it. You build a new one that makes the old one obsolete. Mm. And that's the picture that I have for blockchain is um, how can we create, start creating systems in parallel to the ones that exist and start comparing like what is working better, what is not working better, how can we have the best of both a decentralized and, and, and the benefits of decentralization and the benefits of centralization in certain ways. So um, in a more practical sense, um, obviously an overhaul of the financial industry in terms of more radical inclusion. I think um, a shift in the way that um, our value and privacy and identity is transmitted and captured online um, will come from something like the blockchain industry um, and uh, just a lot more accountability um, at, um, in, a, in, a, in a power sense and in a contribution sense. Um, I hope that the, the blockchain in that kind of sci-fi future has just unleashed um, humanity. And I'm I, and actually, you know what? I'm going to go there. Uh, one <laughs> yeah. of the beliefs of um, myself and Decrypted and anyone who knows Brandon Quintum, who is one of our co-founders in um, Decrypted is, you know, I think that we've reached this point of post-biological evolution. And it's not about like kind of rejecting technology. It's looking at how technology is going to enhance the next stage of our species evolution. And when I think of blockchain and other concepts, I start thinking of humanity moving more towards being like a beehive or um, a school of fish. And mm-hmm. that's being able to operate both individually and at a collective level. Um, and I, I'm most excited and passionate lately about those types of topics and how um, something like blockchain is going to unite us as a species while protecting that sense of individualism. 
Yeah. Go ahead, Erica. Ironically, I'm a, as, as a very thorough optimist, um, I have a sort of, um, I believe in that view, but then I also see that kind of change happens. I sort of like to picture it as a sound wave. Like there's uh, as much as things go up in one, in one side, they also go down commensurately on the other side. Um, and so when I think about what's the world going to look like in the future, I think about what's the world going to look like as more and more things become um, digital. Um, and I see there being both upside and downside to that. Uh, and to me, the work that we're doing as a movement within this quote-unquote blockchain world, I'd love to find a better term for that because I think blockchain is just one of the tools in the toolkit. Um, but within this larger movement that we're working on, um, the, the goal that keeps me going and keeps me passionate about it um, is to say that we are necessarily going to experience downsides. And so those of us who are thinking about how to create the most upside are going to be very, very, very needed in the future because we can't live in a rosy Pollyanna world that we're just going to succeed with all of our goals. Um, the things that we are going to be challenging, the those types of change that we're attempting to make are going to be very, very powerful forces as well. Um, and so to be entering the conversation now when it's still a what could happen in the future and we're still like, oh, wow, it's only been 10 years since we realized that social media might have downsides. Like mm -hmm. we're still super early days in terms of um, sort of the dystopian tech future. Um, and so this is, these are critical moments to start building the conversation about where are we going and what would the upside look like if we could generate upside, knowing that even that's going to have unintended consequences. Um, but having at the, the brain power of the smartest people of our time um, on where we could be going, to me, is like the critical um, step at this juncture in our civilization. I love to underline that from Erica and, and how important it is that we realize that we're the, like this critical juncture of shaping what this becomes and then we'll, that will continue as, as that evolution goes on. But who is involved in those conversations really matter. The cross-section of people that are shaping this technology now are going to be very indicative of what we create in the future. And that's one of the reasons why, for example, Blockchain Babes was created. We were telling women that, you know, the tech and science industries have been very skewed for a long time and that it's important that we get involved now to be starting to shape these conversations and what is created um, and be part of that dialogue. And I think, don't think that, that just applies to women. I think that applies to um, everyone that both inhabits the earth and then wants to get involved in this conversation. Um, but most so um, people that come at this problem from very different disciplinary perspectives that maybe have nothing to do with technology or design. Which is why from a messaging perspective, it is so critical that any project that actually cares about pushing forward the narrative of where we're going as a world has language that's accessible to people who do not currently identify as the people within this movement. Because without the broad base of perspective to strengthen and make our ideas more resilient, um, we're not necessarily going to be able to achieve what we want to achieve. And because we're 
on a roll and I'm going to go there again. That's cool. Um, you know, I just finished watching the season finale of Mr. Robot. I don't know if anyone else watches oh, yeah. it. And I'm, I'm very grateful to be part of these beautiful conscious communities. I'm, I'm actually uh, dialing in from Bali right now. And, um, you know, Erica is in San Francisco and I've spent some time in San Francisco. But um, one of the things I try to keep at the forefront of the, my mind, both for myself and those that I work with and that the type of impact I want to have on others is um, the type of change and problem solving that we want in the world really comes first from a deeper connection to self um, and looking at how our consciousness will impact the, the things that we produce. And I think that that's a much bigger conversation to be bridged in this industry is, um, and Eric talked about earlier in terms of block collab is like, um, like what, what place are we creating from? Yeah. I, I like the idea of uh, the, the human aspect that I, th I feel like there's a, a bigger movement and a lot of it's just outside of blockchain, but back towards this, this human aspect, back towards more of a, a connection and a community and that type of feeling. And I think a lot of people are, are wanting to push towards that, but don't necessarily know how. Um, and that we got surprised a little bit by the internet and technology and it, it came on so quick and now we're so deep and a lot of people are overwhelmed and unhappy um, and kind of looking that I feel like that pendulum is swinging back towards towards the human aspect and that blockchain is a part of that. Um, and one of my favorite parts about blockchain is down down the road is the idea of being able to add in and out of opt into or opt out of communities that you feel uh, in common with. Um, and right now it's, uh, well, before, before kind of the internet and things like that, it was where you were born, you know, what nation you're a part of, and you're kind of, you're stuck with that, uh, that set of rules. But, um, I think in the future, uh, if technology, we can push the story the correct way that, um, people are going to be able to, to opt in and out of communities that they align with. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing for us to be able to, as you were saying earlier, opt, act as individuals, but also part of a collective pushing forward really big things. Um, and humans are, you know, amazing, amazing people and things. And I think that if we, if we kind of align our interests the correct way and work together, that there's some, uh, some really amazing things that could be unlocked. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my bigger, bigger picture feel on the whole thing. Can I add one, one layer on top of what you just said? Oh, I love it. Um, I used to think of um, things about, as a pendulum swinging back and forth. Um, and then I was speaking one day with a game designer and she gave me a really interesting perspective, which is that um, when they're designing games, they actually purposely design three rounds. In one round, the power is weighted in one direction. In the second round, the power is weighted in the other direction. And then the third round is all about the negotiation of power between the players um, to create equilibrium. And so I think if we're kind of seeing the trajectory as um, things were weighted toward humans and then they were weighted towards technology, um, what's inspiring to me isn't necessarily going back toward human. It's about creating round three and figuring out what that negotiation between the human side and the technology side can be so that we can feel like we're at a place of equilibrium where we're actually experiencing the benefits of, of all that has come before. That was uh, impressively eloquent right there. Thank you. <laughs> I loved it. Thank you <laughs> yeah. for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, this has been a super fun show. I'd love to give you guys uh, kind of some last words here, or last concepts if you'd like to talk about. Um, and, uh, and then anywhere that people can find you or that you'd like to, them to look on the socials. Um, yeah, 
So go ahead, Patricia. Yeah, I'll jump in and say um, for anyone interested in uh, these types of conversations and the work that we're doing um, to go to getdecrypted.com. Um, we are launching our new website, which should be probably up uh, by the time that this podcast gets released in early January. Um, and anyone who wants to look into the work that I'm doing, um, if they can go to patriciaparkinson.com. Um, my kind of uh, main ethos and mission in life is really looking at how can we activate and unleash uh, the genius within the world, both um, within ourselves and with our, you know, the society collectively. And I'm, I'm always very happy to have more conversations around that. And um, I'm looking to work with as many very um, passionate and aligned teams as possible. Um, just so that uh, we can keep going, keep going this multiplier effect um, and uh, seeding these ideas in whatever capacity that we have around us. Um, so those are the, the two things for me. Um, yep. Yeah. So uh, in addition to working with Decrypted, um, I do my own independent um, consulting around brand messaging, thinking about um, how to shift paradigms with language um, and experience. And so that's something that I'm really dedicated to and passionate about. Um, and so if you want to follow up with me, Erica Blair, Erica with a C, um, dot IO, it's the best place to reach me. All right. Well, it was an absolute pleasure to speak with both of you. I'll be following your projects and uh, hopefully a lot of people will be seeing what comes next. So that is the show for today. My Telos podcast friends, it was a pleasure again. And uh, to the rest of the global community that's on the ride with us. Uh, much love to you and cheers till next time. Thanks for having us. Yeah. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time